Hello all, welcome to the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, the podcast for CDSing.com. I am your host, R.D. Kulik, and with me here is, if I had to make a musical soundtrack to his life, it'd be some Blake Shelton and some uh, Garth Brooks and I don't know what else. That's the greatest other host, Ty. How are you today, Ty? Hi, everybody. I just need people to know right off the bat that uh, I don't like country music, <laughs> new or old country <laughs> music, so... Your soundtrack would be off. Why wouldn't you say stuff I've been writing about, like Kendrick Lamar and Wu Tang and Nas, man? Oh man, Wu Tang! Yeah, I gotta, it was <laughs> it was awesome. Even without Method Man and Red Man there, it was so rad. Yeah, why the hell were Method Man and Red Man not there? It doesn't matter. RZA was there. Jizza yeah. was there. Ghostface Killer, Inspector Deck, Raekwon, all those guys were there. So. I li- as much as I like Method Man and Red Man, I got to see the members of Wu Tang Clan. I want. And then, did you know Buster Rhymes? Well, hold on. Yeah, and, yeah Buster Rhymes <laughs> finished the show, but. ODB son, it's mm-hmm. a family friendly podcast, but ODB stands for old dirty bastard. His son is there who goes by the initials YDB. Yep. So he's young dirty bastard, <laughs> yeah. which makes it even better. Mm-hmm. And he looks exactly yeah. like his dad, may his dad rest in Oh, his. that's, I feel bad for him now if he looks exactly like ODB. <laughs> but well, he had his hair all done up like him. He's a better looking guy than ODB, but he had his hair all done up like look, him. Look, I got to always do my Riz a shout out. So in all of the live action G.I. Joe movies they've tried to make, Riza is the greatest blind master ever in G.I. Joe retaliation. I mean, uh, it's just so baller. I mean, that's a, that, <laughs> well, that, that, that's great, why he's a great dude. We'll get off of this topic real quick. The great thing about seeing Wu-Tang also is when they were doing their set, they had these big screens in the background. And when Wu-Tang would play their songs, they were showing kung fu movies. So I told my buddy, I said, like, <laughs> we get to watch a awesome uh, an awesome kung fu movie while Wu-Tang is performing the music board. So Yeah, hey. <laughs> no, I'm jealous. I am. <laughs> Okay, Ty, speaking of music, uh, this is while you were on vacation, I wrote this thing about how we need to bring soundtracks back because we don't have a lot of great movie soundtracks like we did in the 80s. And then I got a lot of, hey, old man, stop yelling at clouds. Here's some great soundtracks from the last few years. And they're not lying. As a matter of fact, you've got quite a few of these soundtracks that people pointed out to me. So I didn't know people were saying that to you. So it's interesting. So we're going to talk about the greatest movie soundtracks. Now, immediately out the gate, I said, Okay, Ty, it's got to be stuff since uh, 1982. And then I realized I was cutting out one of my favorite soundtracks ever that I'll talk about in a minute. I was cutting out what a lot of people think is the greatest film soundtrack. And I'm talking about, we have some instrumental stuff in here in the second Mm -hmm. half, but most of these are songs. And none of these are from musicals, okay? We're not like Grease or something like that. But Saturday Night Fever is considered like one of the greatest ever. And it's a great album, but I didn't put it on there. But you said you had to talk about two in particular, and I've got one. So give me the pre-1982 greatest movie soundtracks. When we talked about this and you put those parameters down, I thought, oh, this should be easy. But yeah, going through and doing research, the first one that I said I had to talk about was The Harder They Come. The movie, I know a lot of people have their feelings about the movie. I happen to love the movie. But the movie is more based on the soundtrack that they have. Jimmy Cliff does most of the music from it. And it's not cheesy Velveeta Jimmy Cliff. This is Jimmy Cliff when he first started. He stars in the movie too, by the way. But this is when he first started out. There's many, many great songs from him. But this is like a who's who of early reggae. Like I was introduced to reggae with Bob Marley. And then The Harder They Come was the first. It was like my first takeaway from, oh, people besides Bob Marley and the Wailers can do this music as well as he does. You have... Bands like Scotty, the Melodians, the Slickers, you have Desmond Decker, Toots and the Maidles are on this soundtrack. It's an incredible soundtrack that I think, I mean, there's a reason why it's on all those best of lists. And I think everybody should listen to it because it's just, it's fantastic. And it's a great look into early 
early 70s reggae music right when they start out. So I, I definitely recommend that one. That's one of my favorite soundtracks. And then it's a movie that I watched just out of pure curiosity. I went through a whole phase of watching all these type of movies. But Superfly, while not a good movie by any means at all, it might be my favorite soundtrack of all time. I'm a huge Curtis Mayfield fan. I love everything he's done. I listen to everything he do- he's done. He's one of my favorite artists of all time. And essentially, the soundtrack to Superfly is just a Curtis Mayfield record, which makes it even better. It's got some of the best songs of all time on there. It is key, like R&B, soul music from the 70s. It's phenomenal. It showcases Curtis Mayfield and how great he was when he left his original band. And it makes the movie, while the movie's not very good, it makes the movie watchable and fun for me. So I absolutely adore the soundtrack to Superfly. I absolutely adore Curtis Mayfield. And it's a home run of a soundtrack that makes a not-so-good movie watchable. Yeah, uh, Superfly, I, I actually think it's the second best soundtrack ever. I will talk about what I think the first best is later on in the podcast here. Mm. But it's, it's an outstanding, outstanding soundtrack. And a lot like the movie Xanadu, a lot of people know the soundtrack better than the movie. I, totally. do, I don't have Xanadu on here because it's half of a good soundtrack. All the <laughs> ELO songs are good. It's the Olivia Newton-John songs aren't quite as good, except for the song Xanadu, which again, written by ELO. But yeah, yeah. Superfly is definitely there. I do have to make special mention of, I've said many times on this podcast that I, am, uh, I have vinyl records, and I have a list of vinyl records I am searching for. Constantly add to that list. There's actually two or three ones on this thing. I look, I need the vinyl record. But my Moby Dick, my White Whale, is a soundtrack to the 1971 movie Harold and Maude. You sound even more like the closing for doors of this podcast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, this is just, it's not that this is hard music to find. It's not. There's no original music in this movie. It's all Cat Stevens music. But you watch the movie and the songs, the way they were used in the movie, it's like a lot of these soundtracks I'm going to talk about, Ty. You can sit down, you can put it on, what did somebody say? Put uh, Like, turn all your lights on, turn a candle or light a candle, put a movie soundtrack on, and you can see the movie through the candle. It's mm-hmm. like watching the movie itself. That's what this Harold and Maude soundtrack is. Now, what's interesting I do have it because they did a 50th anniversary release of it. It's great. It's got all the songs and the order they were in the movie. It's got clips from the movie in it. The original record, though, is not that. As a matter of fact, in the original record, half the songs aren't even in the movie. It's just a huh. collect. It's just a best of Cat Stevens record. Okay. But that's my great white whale. I know it's out there. I know people are going to email me. Uh, eBay links and stuff. The last I saw it, it was $790. I'm not spending that much on the Why album. is it so expensive? <laughs> I mean, <clears throat> I get Cat Stevens is a great artist and I love Cat Stevens. I just don't understand why it's so expensive. Yeah, I mean, is, I, did they not print so many of them? Or, and also, I just, the fact that you said, I have vinyl and my white whale is Harold and <laughs> How can you not be a pretentious one on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm going to go from a one kind of pretentious to another kind of pretentious. And like I said, with Xanadu, with Superfly, this is another, this is, I'm blown away you've never seen this movie, Ty. It is not a well-made movie, but that doesn't mean it's a bad movie. But its soundtrack is, not only is its soundtrack great, but it is, it's, one, it's probably the most important record of our lifetimes that nobody knows anything about. And it's, okay. it's a soundtrack to the movie Wild Style. Now. So you said this off mic before mm-hmm. we recorded, and I thought you said Wild Stallions at first, and I'm oh. thinking that's from Bill and Ted, okay. but no, I've never heard of Wild Style. Okay, Wild Style is a movie from 1982, 
and the well, album. No wonder I wouldn't know it. Well, hold I, on, when I was born, dude. Hold on. The album is produced by Charlie Ahern, Chris Stein, and Fab Five Freddy. Oh, okay. It I'm, is. I'm listening. Some of the track listings here: Wild Style Theme Rap One, MC Battle, Basketball Throwdown, Fantastic oh. Freaks at the Disc Dixie, Military Cut, Cold Crush Brothers at the Dixie. It is literally probably one of the first hip hop albums, rap albums. Yeah, I mean. Ever. And too, it sounds like it. And just to give you a flavor of it, Ty, I'm going to play you a little bit from the aforementioned basketball throwdown. The W with a whip. And I'm here to say that I can rock your world like the Dr. Uh-huh. J. Crow Crush, Tony Tone, known to be ill, but everybody knows I can deal with the pill. I'm the D. Gotta rock on this shit court. I've been nine years old playing this here sport. Crow Crush, AD. There you go. There's New York <laughs> that, City basketball street dudes trash talking. That absolutely ruled. I loved everything <laughs> about that. I love that they say they'll shoot a better jump shot than Rick Barry and that they'll dunk better than Dr. J. It's such a <laughs> it's such a look back in time of that era. But what I like also is that it, there's no beats. There's nothing else. You can hear a person dribbling a basketball in the background, yet it's still it still works so well. I'm going to talk about the Nas and Wu-Tang show again. They kept saying, for all of you who like real hip-hop, we're glad you came out tonight. What you just played is real hip-hop. <laughs> it made me smile the whole time, and not because it was corny. It's because it was great. That was great rapping by those guys. It, that's what I mean. It's not, by any means, it's a movie definitely you should seek out. Anybody yeah, I, out there that I'm likes this. 100% going to watch it's it. It's not a good movie, but like I said, it's it's not. I mean, it's not a well-made movie. That's what I should yeah. say. But it's, it's a... Um, it's something. It is definitely something. Sounds awesome. I need to listen to the soundtrack at the very least. And before I move away from uh, my classic hip hop here into what we're going to talk about more modern, there is a, a couple of people or a couple of um, albums, movie albums, specifically for Spike Lee movies, that Public Enemy. Public Enemy, I think, did the whole album for He Got Game. They did. It's a, Again, it's a Public Enemy record. But Do the Right Thing. It's a decent album, all this other stuff, but and I, I don't want to mistake in a great album for a great song. But I do got to say, and I'm going to play a clip here, too. We're talking about music here, but I'm going to go a little bit off time because I'm going to say this is the greatest opening in film history. Okay. And those of you that know exactly what we're talking about can see Rosie Perez just jamming out and dancing on the streets right now. Mm-hmm. One of her greatest roles, too. Oh. By the way, this is my reminder every time I bring up Do the Right Thing that it was not nominated for Best Picture, and the movie that won Best Picture that year was Driving Miss Daisy. Oh, come on. <laughs> Do the Right Thing is such a better movie. It's one Jeez. of the most important movies of all time. But yeah. look, that was not Spike Lee's first movie, and I do not believe that was Public Enemy's first album, but that was the moment the rest of America and the world knew exactly who those two people were. Well, and just the Public Enemy song saying, you know, the year and just getting right into it and Flavor Flay bouncing off of Chuck D and Chuck D bouncing off of that. It's just to slice a time. Oh, God. No, it's just <laughs> epically great. But 
So I, I did these movies in this order for a reason, because you had something like Wild Style, which, like I said, is produced by Fab Five Freddy. He's trying to get his music out there. He's trying to get it more popularized. And even though I, I love this band, I, I still find it a crying shame that Curtis Blow had to live in the shadow of people like the Beastie Boys. Mm-hmm. But Absolutely. But when Public Enemy came onto the scene, and then just with, with the anger and the power and the musical ability, yeah have a DJ there, you have all this stuff, took the foundations of rap and kind of put it out there and and made it into the music that it is today. Well, now we're at a point where it, the music just keeps getting better. I know we keep talking about Wu-Tang, but you also went to go see Kendrick Lamar not yeah, long ago. it was amazing. Ten days ago? Yeah. <laughs> and, but here's the thing. So you have the movie Black Panther, where after all this time and all this thing, Marvel's finally going to put some weight behind it. And oh boy, did they put weight behind it. You got it's the best Marvel movie by a mile. Yeah, you get a great director who was uh, a young guy who was already on the hot streak. You get great actors. I mean, everything's top of the game that it has. And then what does Ryan Coogler do? He goes out and he gets the best hip hop artist around to make the album. That's Kendrick Lamar. What can you tell me about the Black Panther <laughs> score? Or not the score, the uh, soundtrack. <laughs> Score's good, too. No, yeah. I did see Kendrick Lamar. He was great. You guys can read the review of it. Go see him if you have a chance. But yeah, so Kendrick Lamar made the album Damn, which is probably my favorite album of all of, all of his to date. He won a Pulitzer for that album. So everybody's kind of like, what's he going to do next? What's coming next? Ryan Coogler, as you said, and the people at Marvel said, hey, will you write some music for this? And instead of just writing a couple songs, he did the entire album. He wrote an entire new album of brand new music that nobody had heard before. And... It's just, as you said, Kendrick Lamar is not only the best rapper, but he's probably like the most thought-provoking rapper that's out there right now. So he's not just going to write like what we just heard with uh, in the Wildstyle movie, which again, I love that type of rapping, but this isn't just rhyme, rhyme, beat, right? This is, you know, he's talking about stuff, he's saying things. And not only did he just decide, I'm going to make this album, do it all myself. He got super duper stars to be on this mm-hmm. record. Scissors on the record. Two Chains is on the record. Khalid. Vince Staples, J-Rock, and then all of this, Travis Scott is on the album, but all of this, it's all underscored by the fact that Kendrick Lamar wrote and produced and did every single song on this record. And you make it, you take a movie like Black Panther, which I said I think is the best Marvel movie, it's still my favorite Marvel movie of this day, and you add my favorite, current favorite hip-hop artist to make all the music, it's, it's a home run for me. And these songs are incredible. At the end of the movie, when the credits roll... They do all, uh, I can't think of the name of the song. It was SZA on the record. It's the second song. And it's incredible because you have Kendrick and SZA rapping back and forth. And she's singing. He's doing his thing. And these credits are rolling. After you just watch two plus hours of this amazing movie that we are all waiting to see and hoping will be good. It's just, it's a perfect record. Like, I'm at the point now where there's too much superhero stuff and I can't, I'm not able to keep up with all of it. But there's a movie like Black Panther that I'll go back and watch. Not only because it's a really good movie, but the music attached to this movie is incredible. And that's because Kendrick Lamar wrote and did everything for the music for this movie. All the Stars is the name of the All song. the Stars. I was yeah. thinking All the Lights, but I knew that yeah. wasn't it. All yeah. the Stars yeah. is the song. Going on to talk, I mean, like, there's a, a companion album I've got that, but I'm going to end the first half with it. But there's uh, these next two that you picked out. They're interesting to me. So one I could have easily talked about, and I didn't even think about it, but there was an Alan Parker movie, The Commitments that came out mm-hmm. and it's all r&b music stuff like that done with a bunch of irish people and i know famously alan parker cast musicians cast unknowns mm-hmm. a lot of the musicians in the commitments that was their first movie role 
And a lot of them went on to have semi-successful music careers. Well, one of the guys, skinny-looking weird dude, years later, there's this movie comes out once. It was uh, mm-hmm. 2007. And Love that movie. Everybody talked about it. Everybody said how great it was. And one of the guys, Glenn Hansard, from The Commitments, he and then this, uh, I'm going to say her name wrong, but Marquita. Marquetta Urglova. Urglova. Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Urglova. Tell me about Once and what makes it such a great soundtrack. Once in and of itself is a, is a fine movie. It's, a, it's as indie as indie gets. Mm-hmm. It's two people. They're making music together. The shots are, there's a lot of long slow shots of them doing stuff and recording music. So the movie Once is fine on its own. What makes it so great, what makes it so memorable is the music, is the soundtrack to this movie. I saw these two in concert perform this this soundtrack, uh, Marquetta Urglova and Glenn Hanser. I watched them perform this, and while they performed it, it was like watching the movie over again because they do the songs in the movie, the most famous song, the song that, song that won the Oscar, Falling Slowly from it. They perform essentially that whole thing in a music shop in Ireland. And it's incredible because the, you know, the director's filming the two of them. They're both trained professional musicians who know what they're doing, so there's no faking out of anything these two are actually playing their stuff they're doing their stuff and it's a great three minute shot of them playing music and that's how the entire movie is this is a movie that on its own you'd be like oh that's a cute little indie about musicians but the music is so good and so well done and done by professionals that it takes it up a whole other level we're talking about a movie that was probably made for a couple million dollars it won an oscar for mm-hmm. best song. Like, that's amazing to me that a movie like that can do it. But that's, it. you know, Falling Solely is a hit from that. But every single song, this is a type of soundtrack. Sometimes you can skip through songs on soundtrack and, you know, maybe not listen to this or do one or two of the songs on there. This is a soundtrack where I listen to every single song because I can picture that moment in the movie when they're playing these songs or when he's, there's a great shot. He's playing a song solo the director starts out really far away and just pans and gets closer and closer to Glenn Hansard as he's playing the song. And every time I hear it on the soundtrack, I think about that scene in the movie. This is a phenomenal soundtrack that makes the movie so much better than it, than it even should be. I said at the beginning we weren't doing musicals, but this is the closest. The songs yeah. tell the story of the movie. That's why it worked so well. And the songs are great. And it went on to be a Broadway musical. And I do have mm-hmm. to say, I always remember from the Oscars, because who was it this last year? Well, Will Smith, yeah, won the Oscar yeah. after he punched, slapped Chris Rock. But they say they're only supposed to have like two minutes. He's up there 10 minutes talking about protecting his family and mm-hmm. all this other BS. And and look, I don't care. These people, they, they spend their career. This is the big award. They're going to do it. Well, if you're not well-known, they play you off right away. And I remember the Oscars that uh, they won this. Glenn Hansard, I mean, both of them are like, oh, my God, we just won an Oscar. And he's <laughs> yeah. like, he's barely coherent. And he's like, oh, geez, this is great. This is great. And then he realizes he's running out of time. So he, he I'm going to say her name again, Marquita. Marquetta. 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 <laughs> he looks at Marquetta and she starts to speak and they play her off. And they went to commercial when they got back. John Stewart was hosting. He brought her them back up. And said so she's going to finish what she said. <laughs> so I always think of that whenever I think of the movie once. But on a completely another side of it, I tell my wife this all the time. I'm like, ah, oh, Pearl Jam's overrated. And then I remember they got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and they're like playing. I'm like, damn, Pearl Jam's got some great hits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no duh. <laughs> and then I'm like, or then I'll be, I, I jumped off Spotify and I'm with Apple Music now, but I'm building my list and stuff. And I'm putting all my Nirvana songs in there. I'm like, damn, why are they putting Pearl Jam songs in my mix? And I'm like, that was a pretty good song. (laughs) 
but for some weird reason, in, in the movie, that's honestly an amazing movie. It's an incredible, incredible. book. It's a story just, and a tragic story. Yeah, and it's a bummer that Sean Penn directed it and yeah. Miller starred in it. Yes, <laughs> yes, there is that. I'm having to deal with my own arcade fire problems now. Yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah. <laughs> so I, which is sad because I just learned they came out with an album a few months ago, and I'm like, this album rocks. And then all the Wim Butler stuff came out. I'm like, yep. crap. But hey, anyway. they're still touring. You can go see them if you uh, want. To. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I believe Beck's supporting them on some of their shows. Too. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm. I'm. I'm gonna. Hey, I, I love Beck, so I'm pretty bummed about it too. Yeah, but Eddie Vedder. This isn't Pearl Jam. Eddie Vedder. I might be the only like solo album he's ever done but he did into the wild and it's great why is this so great so yeah you mentioned into the wild and i read the book i'm a huge john krakauer fan i hope he hasn't been like canceled or anything i don't know outside of philip dick he's probably my favorite writer he's probably my favorite nonfiction writer as well or fiction i don't i always get those two confused i don't know which one i think it's nonfiction. anyway I love John Krakow. I read all his books. So I read this book early on. You're right. It's a tragic story about a kid who leaves all his possessions behind and seems to be doing fine and ends up eating some bad shrubbery and it it kills him. He essentially starves himself to death. But when they made this movie, I, the movie's called Into the Wild, as you said, I didn't know what to expect. And the movie's great. As you said, it's very sad. It's a very harrowing story of what happened, but it's all underscored by Eddie Vedder. And it's not Pearl Jam Eddie Vedder where they're shredding on guitar and he's singing a song I love like Jeremy or something like that. But this is all him, essentially acoustic, and he's playing acoustic guitar. He's playing ukulele. He's It's it's very stripped down. It's very of the movie. It's the same type thing. Eddie Vedder's in the studio by himself writing these just depressing, sad, upsetting songs. But it's done so well because it's Eddie Vedder and... Unlike you, I've always been a Pearl Jam fan. I love Eddie Vedder. I think he's great. I I actually got into a, a debate with our other with our brother Seth about who was more famous, Eddie Vedder or Kendrick Lamar, and he seems to think Eddie Vedder, and my wife thinks Eddie Vedder because I've seen the two of them in concert, and the concert I saw Eddie Vedder, he performed this album and the soundtrack. He the whole thing. And speaking of Glenn Hansard, Glenn Hansard opened for him solo at that show too. So that's just you know some some connect connective tissue there, but. The way he performed the songs works so well with the story of the movie. It starts out slow, and then it gets uplifting, and then it gets really, really sad at the end. And that's how Eddie Vedder did the music for this. It's it's slow, it's uplifting, it's very, very sad at the end. But what bummed me out the most is that he wasn't nominated for an Oscar because I think like only one of the songs played at the end, and people didn't feel like it was good enough. Or I don't understand the Oscar rules, but this is a soundtrack, much like Once... Much like the commitments where I can think of a song and it puts me in the headspace I was when I was watching that movie at the time. And Eddie Vedder, I think, was the perfect artist because of the way he sings to do the soundtrack to this movie. No, it's great. But I'm going to I'm going to end this half tie with what I think is the greatest of all time. And I'm going to start off again here with a little clip so you and everybody can get in the right headspace as I start to talk about the greatness of of this particular record. I never meant to call you when you're 
So come on, Ty, you got to know that one. Of course I do. And <laughs> it's not really a hot take or anything, but recently, because I've been listening to him more. And I know a lot of people probably disagree, but I think Prince is the greatest guitar player of all time. Oh, I mean, he is <laughs> definitely in the conversation, but I, I, it, he and that just that phase and the way that guitar it's just, it. Purple Rain is not a good movie. Purple Rain is an incredible song. Yes, yes, and yes. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> and a few things about 1984's Purple Rain. It is the sixth album from Prince and the Revolution, even though Jeez. it was mostly like saying Prince, a few albums, I think 1999, he started to say, and the Revolution. It is the album that a lot of people think caused the parental advisory stickers because Tipper Gore... Uh, in a story, says she was reading the liner notes to her daughter's Purple Rain, and the song Little Nicky talks about a woman self-pleasuring in public. So that's uh, oh, did that. Great. It was number eight on Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all time. It is in the Grammy Hall of Fame. It did win the Academy Award for Best Original Song Score. So Prince is okay. an Oscar winner. I never knew that. Yeah. And it is in the Library of Congress for sound recordings that are, quote, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. That's not why I love it, though. I love it because it slaps. Oh, do you do you love it because Morris Day plays the bad guy? Oh, my God. So say- before he goes to perform that song, he says, uh, Morris Day says to him, how's your dad? As he's walking out on stage to perform that. That's brutal. Morris Day is a villain, dude. He is. He is. He throws a lady in the trash. He's, yeah. I mean, he's all kind of stuff. And then I didn't even realize the song Purple Rain. The recording of that song on the album is from a live show at First Avenue in Minneapolis. Oh, really? So I they didn't know that. they did say they overdubbed some stuff, but a lot sure. of the the recordings for the movie were put into into that. The only thing Purple Rain showed, I mean, Prince had everything at that time. That is the the peak of Prince. And then he decided to direct the next movie and that should have <laughs> never happened. I heard that's crazy. And we can't I heard yeah, I heard that movie's crazy. I heard it's in like black and white also, yeah. which is nuts. But also, dude, I mean I, this is, you know, total bro or whatever me, but that's the movie like Apollonia's in that movie. Yes. She's one of the most mm-hmm. beautiful women that has ever walked the face of the earth. So I mean come on. And also Props to Prince for the 80s having like an all girl backing band. Oh, yeah. He uh, all the like, way up nobody to. Nobody did that. No, but all yeah, the way I'm up saying, to the like, point of his death, he did. It's, yeah, I'm uh, just saying, like, nobody did that back then. And he was like, I'm comfortable enough to do whatever the hell I want to do. So props to Prince was. Prince died too soon. Mm-hmm. He was an alien who was too good for this mortal plane. Hello, all this is RD, and I want to take a minute here just to talk to you about how you can support this great podcast, the Ex-Millennial Man Podcast, all the work we do on SeedSync.com, and especially all the hard work that Ty does bringing you the sports knowledge and the pop culture knowledge that you just so deeply want, and how you can support me bringing you all the political knowledge that you definitely do not want. We have a Patreon. You can go to patreon.com and look up the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. And for just five bucks a month, guys, you are going to continue to be able to give you all this great content, give you the things that we are also craving that we know we need. And then in addition to that, we're going to be launching a Patreon-only podcast called the Ex-Millennial Man Political Report, where we're going to go through kind of more of a deep dive on my personal thoughts and other people's thoughts on what's going on politically around our country. That way we can keep the Ex-Millennial Man as your place where you're going to go to find out all the most important things. Guys, we created this, Ty and I did, because me being from Generation X and he being a millennial, 
honestly, I was tired of hearing about Citizen Kane's the greatest movie ever. It's a good movie. Don't get me wrong. But we kind of got tired of, wait, nothing since Citizen Kane can be better. I mean, come on. Back to the Future is way better. To some of us, Fast and the Furious movies are way better. This is a place where we can talk about that stuff and where you're going to get that, again, not opinion, true fact of what is the greatest ever when it comes to music, sports, politics, all that stuff is SeedSing.com and the X Millennial Man podcast. So come on over to Patreon. Five bucks a month is all it is. And hey, if there's something more you need from that, come hit us up. Tell us you need T-shirts. We can give you T-shirts. You need handshakes. Maybe we can give you that. But come on over to Patreon, the Ex-Millennial Man podcast, and now I'm going to get you back to the conversation. Okay, Ty, so I did divide this up into two halves. The first half was kind of original music, music that was made for these movies, where the second half here... It's not so original, but I'm not totally telling the truth, and I'll explain kind of how that is. I mean, maybe I should say music out of time is the best way to say it. So one of the big things, and I'm going to address this at the end of the podcast here, is how a lot of these soundtracks or a lot of these great soundtrack makers of modern times go back to the music of when these movies are set. So you said the movie in the 1950s, a soundtrack I don't have on here because I don't really care for Huey Lewis music, but it's like Back to the Future. Yeah, there's like Johnny Huey Lewis. Uh, What's the matter with you? Yeah, he seems to be a fine enough fellow, but um, <laughs> maybe Patrick Bateman explaining Huey Lewis to me just doesn't work. But it's, but again, you're going. Most of that music in the Back to the Future soundtrack is from the mid 1980s. Huey Lewis music, so mm-hmm. it doesn't take you back to the 50s. But again, that's not the point of it. So some of these things, though, it's, it's an atmosphere, I guess is what I'm saying. You listen to this and you put it in an atmosphere. And another big soundtrack before our time that people talk about is like 2001. It's got an old piece of music in it. But whenever you hear that, you see 2001. So mm-hmm. that's it puts you in that mood. Now, at the very beginning here, we are going to talk about, and you said something off mic that I'm going to talk about too, but two movies that I have both on vinyl, so you know. <laughs> and man, when I need to be put into a mood, I put them on. So I'm going to let you start with Drive. Yeah, so I've talked about Drive a lot on this podcast, how it made me have a visceral outcry when I saw it in the theaters and how that movie goes so hard. And I think it's one of the coolest movies ever. I know like a lot of people lately are, oh, it's not as good as you thought it was. It's as great as I've oh, always thought yes. it was. So I went out and bought the soundtrack for one song now there's a lot of other decent stuff on it like i'm not huge into synth music or anything but there's a lot of stuff on there where i like i'll sit back and i'll listen to it i can vibe to it like it's it's cool it's interesting it's it's like the best version of um you might think this is blasphemy but i think it's like if gary newman was a great musician he could have done the type of synth music that's on this soundtrack i want to talk about the very first song on there it's called night call I have no idea the artist. I can look it up. The artist is Love Fox, which yes. Fox is spelled with three X's, <laughs> yeah. and Kavitz, Kavinsky. The song starts out, and it's just simple simple synth music with like a hard guitar and drum beat to it. But when the singing comes in, it's this weird voice that almost sounds like it's gargly. Like it's almost like a robot talking to you. And then Love Fox's voice, I think it's Love Fox, comes in, and it's just this perfect... It gives me the per- it puts me in the perfect mood. It makes me think of the moments from Drive that I like so much. And I, to sound pre- pretentious or whatever, the the song makes me feel like I'm watching the movie. But have no fear. 
I can just put on that one song. Again, I bought, I don't have it on vinyl because I don't mm-hmm. own vinyl <laughs> records, but I bought the CD so I could listen to this one song over and over and over again. If I go on my Spotify list, I see this song played and it's on a bunch of my playlists that I have because every time I hear it, it makes me remember the movie Drive and remember how much I like Drive. Again, there's other songs on the soundtrack that are just fine and I can get myself in that in that mood or think of that scene where this song was in, but something about Night Call just makes me love the entire movie, not just the one moment that it may or may not have been in the movie, but it is it is definitely, and I know you said that, oh, one song doesn't make a soundtrack. I truly believe one song makes this soundtrack incredible. You are right. It is a great song. It is a great song to kick off an album. But like I said, sometimes I just I just need that music. And I just need to think about driving the streets of L.A. at midnight. And and I mean, we both live in the suburbs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it just puts me in that mood. But We've also, we talked about Xanadu, we talked about Superfly, but I would say the movie that definitively does not deserve its soundtrack is the movie Tron Legacy. (laughs) Now, Tron Legacy is not a bad movie. It's a boring movie. Yes, totally. (laughs) And it's, it looks so good. And I remember uh, we've been showing my son a bunch of movies from like the 80s. And I remember we sat down and watched Tron. I was excited. I'm like, man, I haven't seen Tron in forever. Tron's terrible. It's a (laughs) terrible movie. I mean, I'm just going to tell you that right now. But it's an idea. And Tron Legacy, first off, the guy that directed it, uh, Joseph Kosinski, he's the guy that directed Top Gun Maverick. So I think his star is rising right now. But but the movie looked great. I mean, Tron Legacy looks incredible. I remember after we watched Tron and my son was like, well, I guess that bike scene was cool. I'm like, let me show you a cool light bike scene. And I showed him one from Tron Legacy. But here's the thing. And this is what I thought of all the time. Again, another one that I have on vinyl. This is what I, like, I, I will, if Tron Legacy happened to be on in my house, I would probably turn the TV off but let the music continue because this is what you hear. Now, those of you who have never seen Tron Legacy just heard that and said, that's it. I'm going to Disney Plus right now to watch Tron Legacy. Don't. <laughs> but that was so <laughs> rad, dude. I mean, it is. Uh, look, any music video, music videos are cool, but they're supposed to be like five minutes long. They're not supposed to be 90 minutes long. And that's the problem with Tron Legacy. The music is amazing in it. But yeah, yeah, that's, that is well, definitely a, a soundtrack that makes its film. And you haven't said who the music's performed by. Oh, yeah, that's right. I was about to say, it's the most daft punk of daft punk music yeah. there is. That's like the quintessential French daft <laughs> punk right there. They said, who, like, when they did the music, they did it with electronics, but had like an 85-piece orchestra backing them. Oh, that's rad. <laughs> so like, Random Access Memories is a great album, mm-hmm. and I love that album, but this is daft punk i think like oh, at their peak yes it is. This stuff. yeah this is around the time that they were collaborating with kanye 
on okay. like my twisted dark fantasy and Yeezus and stuff like that. So okay. that's yeah. this era Daft Punk. May Daft Punk rest in peace also. <laughs> that's right. I mean, they're, they're not, not dead. No. They not <laughs> yeah, they said they're yet. done. Yeah. And yeah. I think they Good had a total. Too. I think they had a total of like five studio albums in like 30 right. years. They but. will be legendary forever. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. of stuff like what you just played. Yeah. So I'm going to put these two together here because this is uh, it's a mistake I made. Now, recently somebody, I want to say the AV Club or somebody just did, they ranked all the um, Coen Brothers movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you think of the Coen Brothers, you've got, they're known for a lot of quirky music in their stuff. So Raising mm-hmm. Arizona or The Big Lebowski. Or something like that. But there's two movies that they made that some was originally written music, but it was written in the style of its time. Some were old music, some that didn't even have authors attached to it. The music's so old. But the I'm, I'm going to start with Oh Brother, We're Out There first. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a movie, like a lot of people don't even know this. That movie is The Odyssey. It's mm-hmm. Homer's Odyssey, not Homer Simpson's. But uh, it's <laughs> you mean his minivan that he framed a picture of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the music in it is this bluegrass music. They brought in T Bone Burnett to do it. I mean, what can you say mm-hmm. about that? So you know, at the top of this, I said I'm not a big country fan or whatever. This is as close as I'll get, and I don't consider it country. I think you said it right. It's bluegrass or it's old folk folk music. Yeah, they took a bunch of these old standards, and they had modern artists do it. Alison Krauss is on the record. Uh, Chris Thomas King is on the record. Alison Krauss's husband is the voice of George Clooney in the movie when George Clooney sings. They took these old standards, these old classics, and I don't know that Oh Brother Where I Thought was my favorite Coen Brothers movie. I love the movie, but I think the music, and I will talk about the other one here in a minute, but I think the music, the way this soundtrack came out, the way this soundtrack was released to the world, I was in high school when the soundtrack came out, and it was a big deal to me and all my friends. Mm-hmm. And like That was back when I was pretty much only listening to hip-hop. So the fact that this soundtrack came out, and it spoke to me and my friends, 17, 18-year-old kids, but it also spoke to your age group. And even more so, it spoke to our parents' age group. Like, our father loves this soundtrack. I can remember vividly getting in his car and listening to the soundtrack with him and then going home and watching the movie so we could see the music being played in that movie. When they do A Man of Constant Sorrow in the movie and then you hear it on the soundtrack, I go right back to when they're in that recording studio singing it. Or at the end, when they're singing it out, like singing it out in a crowd of everybody after they've been released from prison. But... It's just from top to bottom, that soundtrack is old standards done by modern artists of the time, and it just worked out so fantastically well. And to get a producer like T-Bone Burnett on board was, this was a stroke of genius. This was an incredible move by the Coen brothers, an incredible move by these artists, and that soundtrack has just stood the test of time for me. Well, here, so again, you're talking about bluegrass music, you know, not exactly something that's extraordinarily well-known. Uh, or I mean, it's well known, but it isn't really play. It was number one on the Billboard 200 chart in 2001, and it spent. Jeez, 20, I was a senior in high school, and he and it spent 20 <laughs> weeks as number one on the country album chart. Okay, so that is that just shows you right there how big. And it again, was. me and all my friends, we were listening to like Eminem and. You were showing me Public Enemy and stuff like that at that time. But this album, the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou album spoke to us. Mm -hmm. Like, I was listening to Eminem and Nelly and Oh Brother, Where Art Thou. That's nuts to me. Yeah. No, it's unbelievable. Now, I thought all the music was original, but like I said, it wasn't. So another one that I thought the music was original, 
but not even close. Not dude. all of it was. And, <laughs> and I go there's back, only one original song on the whole album. Yes, right. And <laughs> but that shows you how deep cut they went. Yeah. And so inside Lewin Davis, I said it right. Yeah, I always say Lou Elland or this whatever. Is my, this is my favorite Coen Brothers movie. So I was going to say that AV Club or whoever did the ranking, they put No Country for Old Men number one, but this was number two. I've only ever seen this movie once, and I, I liked, it, oh. liked it a lot. I need to go back and see it again. But again, another one. This is 2013 the movie comes out. They get T-Bone Burnett again, and they're making this kind of Bob Dylan-esque kind of story, mm-hmm. tragic comedy or something like that. Yeah. I mean, a great movie, incredible movie. Yeah. Oscar Isaac, everybody involved, but the music. Tell me about the music yeah. here. Well, real quick, too, before I get into the music, I remember this movie came out, and when they were showing the cast for the new Star Wars movie, when they made that first new one, the picture of Adam Driver and Oscar Isaac was from this movie. Yeah, like, oh, that's, that's right. I remember that so vividly. <laughs> but no, it's like you said. So Inside Lewin Davis is a movie about a Bob Dylan-type character, except Oscar Isaac plays Lewin Davis as even more of a jerk. Like he's even he's way meaner. He only cares about himself. But the thing is, is he's this incredible musician, this incredible guitar player and writer and people just fawn over him and they love him. And the music's amazing because it's these old folk classics. But Oscar Isaac plays the guitar and sings on it and everybody else that they got. Again, they're doing all of these old, old classics. And like I said, Oscar Isaac is the main musician on it, but you get the Punch Brothers to sing on a song, and they're a pretty popular bluegrass band in the bluegrass genre of music. Carrie Mulligan performs a song with Chris Tiley, who's from the Punch Brothers and from another bluegrass band that I listen to. The only original song is a song about John F. Kennedy on there that Justin Timberlake and Adam Driver sing together, and Oscar Isaac plays the guitar. So you got a person like that. You get the Punch Brothers again. You have Nancy Blake. And then they only have one original, not original, but one song done by the original artist on there. And it's Farewell, which is a Bob Dylan song. And at the end of the movie, spoiler alert for a movie that came out almost 10 years ago. But you see this figure in the background playing it, and it's Bob Dylan. And they ask Lewin Davis about him. And he's like, oh, that guy isn't as good as I. And that's how this movie ends. But I can listen to all these songs. Again, this is another soundtrack that... Our father and I listened to together all the time. He knew all the words to the song, yet to every song on it, because he heard the cla- he heard the standard versions of them. And then you get this updated version of these standard songs, and our father was in love with it. And I have always tried to be like our dad. I don't think that's any secret within our family. So the fact that I could listen to a soundtrack with him, remember this movie that we watched together, it's my favorite Coen Brothers movie, and I think outside of Superfly, it's probably my favorite soundtrack of all time. No, it's it's great. And before I end on, which is arguably the dumbest one here, but it's the one <laughs> that inspired the whole thing, because it, it's gonna it's gonna tell you how great how a movie soundtrack can even take crap and make it great. I did want to say, and I might go into this another another time more, in, uh, but when I was looking at this, first off, I got to give special shout out to Kenny Loggins, okay. Absolutely. The, the dude in the 80s showed us which highway we had to take for the danger zone. <laughs> the danger zone? <laughs> and uh, did the theme song, the Caddyshack. I mean. Oh, so good. Yeah, I can't think of a bunch of not gay men all d- going around playing volleyball together without hearing the song playing with the boys. So, <laughs> it's, I mean. That rules. Yeah. There's, yeah, I got to give him credit for that. And then uh, John Hughes, okay? You have. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's those movies, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink, uh, the, yeah. these movies that there's these soundtracks, these 80s movies. He kind of, uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, kind of cornered this, kind of took the music that wasn't the popular music of the time, was the quote unquote alternative music. John mm-hmm. Hughes made people like OMD or Psychedelic Furs or even REM mm-hmm. to a point. I mean, brought totally. them. Uh, there's also um, Paul Thomas Anderson. I mean, yeah. the Royal Tenenbaums. Isn't you want to talk about a guy who takes these kind of deep cuts, but these really great pieces of music, and well, and then he gets Mark Mothersbaugh to score all. Oh, right, right, too. exactly. And Rushmore is is an all time. Mm-hmm. You know, I was there. shocked you didn't have that on your list. Well, that's I, that's why I have Paul Thomas Anderson oh, okay. <laughs> listed okay. here because again, it evokes these right moods for these movies. But I will say, of all the people, I think the person who has even in those movies I haven't cared about, has been great, and I mean great, at putting music to his scripts is Cameron Crowe. I fully agree. I, I almost put Almost Famous on here because it is such a good soundtrack, mm-hmm. but that movie is not very good. No, it's not. And you look at it like uh, I still think his best uh, is probably of a movie a lot of people don't think of this movie, uh, Vanilla Sky. With Tom I've Cruise. never seen that. Oh, yeah, my God. The that. soundtrack in that is is incredible. It's got some Radiohead in it. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's real. And I mean, the, again, these aren't super common songs, but Cameron Crowe going all the way back to say anything has always known how to find the right music for the right mood and put it in his movies. And it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing when I was going through all these things and thinking, yeah, I don't really care for that movie, but damn, that's a great soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, he's really, really does a good job, but Ty, well, hold on. Uh, what about what about the dude who wrote the theme song to Major League and then does does all the Pixar? Music oh now? yeah, you're um. Well, Randy I can't Newman. Think of his name. Randy, Randy Newman. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I love L.A. I can't even. Yeah, we got to put special. I I think we're gonna do another podcast on great songs from movies. We're gonna okay. do that because that's got to be in there. But yeah, I watch Major League at least. I'd say probably once a month or whatever. Great movie. Yeah, yeah, a phenomenal movie. And uh, one goddamn showed, hit. Can't say goddamn yeah. on the radio. Nobody's listening. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Well, and I showed it to my son recently, father of the year, uh, whatever. But oh, I showed him. I, yeah. I heard that song play, and my son was like, "That sounds like the Toy Story guy." I was like, "You are. That's right. That's the Toy Story guy." So I just I had to mention him too. But there is certain things, like certain songs, certain things that again drive or. Or Tron Legacy, or you know, Wild Style, Black Panther, all these things. These are great pieces of music. They they make you feel it. But there's certain just just crap that is attached to other crap that comes out smelling like roses. Mm-hmm. Like a song like "Eye of the Tiger," not a great song. Uh, okay, well, maybe it's just because the movie's so good. No, you, you're probably right. I just the movie that song works so well for that. Exactly. I, no, exactly. And that's. I mean, there's probably more "Living in America." There's a. I mean, it's probably James mm. Brown's worst song. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's. Uh, but it works for like Rocky Four. Um, almost any Survivor song works just, in a Rocky and, movie. And real quick too, do you remember when he was promoting that tour and he was all drunk on TV and he oh, kept yeah. saying "Living in America." Over <laughs> yeah. <and> over. <laughs> The Transformers movie that I've talked about, not the the live action ones, the cartoon one that I've talked well, so about. So you got GI Joe and Transformers <laughs> in on this podcast. Oh, of course today. I did. <laughs> but the Transformers movie, okay? There's a great like 15 minute documentary. I think it's called Transformers: When Greed Was Good. The movie. I know I've told the story again, and again, but the movie was made to basically kill off all your favorite characters, so you go buy all the new characters. And to uh-huh. this day, I hate Cup and Hot Rod and 
uh, you know, I hate all those guys because it's they they're they told me to go buy them instead of the people I liked. My son, the school he has to go to, he has to take Latin because, yeah, it's that kind of school. And <laughs> yesterday he told me I they always have a Latin word of the day. I'm like, what was your word today? And he said, Optimus. I go like Optimus Prime. He said, yeah, some kid in my class said that, too. What's Optimus Prime? <laughs> hilarious so even your son is essentially calling you a dork but i i want to talk about the oeuvre of stan bush okay (laughs) i don't think that's ever been mentioned on a podcast ever (laughs) no there's a podcast i listen to one 900 hot dog and it's if you liked crack when it first cracked when it first started go listen to that because it's all those guys they're just 15 years older now they were talking a guy was talking about how he went to a they live in LA and he went to a thing at uh, like the grocery store or something. And Stan Bush was playing the grocery store and look, it's a big, it's like a, the Grove, I think is what it's called. It's a big thing. My yeah. wife saw um, somebody there. I can't remember now. She's going to yell at me when I get there. Cheryl Crow, where oh, okay. it was like two o'clock in the afternoon. And she gets up there and says, good morning, LA. <laughs> <laughs> it might've been morning for her. Yeah, for what we yeah. know at that time, man. So, so I remember uh, the guy on One Nine Hundred Hot Dogs said he went to this thing, saw Stan Bush, and yelled out really loud, "Play the touch!" So <laughs> it's, now there's two Stan it's Bush. It's like over yelling at NRBQ or whatever their name was. Yeah, no new crap. Get to the working overtime part now. <laughs> so there's two particular songs, and I'll tell you right now. Just in reference to the movie, they slap. You know, one of them is the song "Dare." Indulge me a moment, but it's like, you can win if you dare. Something like that. Just cheesy. You got to stop singing. (laughs) Just terrible, cheesy 80s stuff. But the the one everybody knows, and this is why I wanted to talk about soundtracks, because this is this song would be lost to time in nothing in a L.A. grocery store if it wasn't for this movie and if it wasn't for this moment. And that's the song, The Touch. Now, everybody's expecting me to play The Touch. And hold on a second i'm gonna play something for you but it's known because it's optimus prime and it's it's a uh, megatron's last fight it's a what fight that optimus prime dies in and stuff like that and you you know you hear the strength and you know that yeah i mean it just it, it evokes this great memory of okay that's it and even the end of the movie ends on this song but ty this song is so big it's so embedded in our pop culture and I'm going to go back mm-hmm. to Paul Thomas Anderson. Okay. In the movie Boogie Nights, which has an all-time soundtrack too. Okay. Phenomenal soundtrack, yes. There is a scene late in the movie where Mark Wahlberg, Dirk Diggler is his porn career is basically over and he's looking for the mm-hmm. next best thing. And this is something completely like most people need to even get it, but I'm going to play this scene while he's trying a new song for someone. <laughs> Never walk, you never run, you're a winner. 
So I don't know what Paul Thomas Anderson was telling us about Stan Bush <laughs> with that particular performance there. Yeah, the touch. I mean, it's it, it's it's seeped into our, our just a terrible song, Ty. I mean, a terrible song that so, is seeped into our culture that it's taken hold because of a capitalistic horde grab <laughs> in the 1980s, and it, it's beautiful. It is beautiful. So I, I people know and understand that we're you know we're brothers. You're I believe eight years older than me. I always yes. get this mixed up, but yeah. I feel like is and especially when we live together, you would walk around saying that all the time. Be like what? <laughs> What the hell is he singing? And then I eventually saw Boogie Boogie Nights. So I thought you were making fun of Mark Wahlberg in that. And I know Mark Wahlberg's come out recently and been like, oh, I didn't like doing that movie. I felt so wrong and violated. That's his best performance. That movie's so good. Hands down. And he's incredible in it. Like, don't degrade something. So I've been hearing this song for at least 25 years now. And... Today, that that thing that people say, I am today years old, when I realized it was from Transformers, I just assumed (laughs) you were making fun of Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights. So this is all new information for me. So this song that has been in my life for more than half of my life, I never knew it was from this Transformers movie. And it's uh, if you go back and you watch the preview for the Transformers movie, they say like a rock and roll adventure for our time. And there's like hard rock music in that. (laughs) But there are exactly four songs on that soundtrack that make it worth buying. There is the totally rocked out version of the Transformers theme. Then there's the touch. There's dare. And then weird Al Yankovic, let them use dare to be stupid. And probably one of the dumbest scenes I've seen in a movie ever. So (laughs) weird Al rules though. (laughs) And also like, I think you said, you don't know what Paul Thomas Anderson told him. I think he's like, Hey, Dirk Diggler's coked out of his mind. and thinks he can sing. Go. (laughs) Well, (laughs) So they, you know, I'm always ready to go, and he's singing. He's all out of key, and it's just yeah. all everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, I know you wrote a thing on this, but you watch that clip, and while he's doing it, you know, he's the music producer looks like he w- would rather be dead than be there. But then John C. Riley's back there just dancing, <laughs> just <laughs> going to town on it. Another John C. Riley is amazing in that movie, like. John C. Riley is famous, and I still feel like he might be one of the most underrated actors oh, yeah. in all of Hollywood. Easily, he is incredible. Yeah. All right, Ty. Well, that's the that's the uh, soundtrack one. I know we could have gone another hour or so, yeah, and easily. I could say may talk more about it. But if people need to know uh, what we left off, where are they going to find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Facebook. T y k u l i k all lowercase. More importantly, come read my stuff on Seedsing. S e e d s i n g dot com. I did that massive football preview. Football season started last week, but for me, it officially starts on Saturday because that's when Michigan plays. But that's on there. You mentioned the concerts. That I, we mentioned the concerts I went to. I wrote about those. That stuff's all on there. So check it out, seatsing.com, S-E-E-D-S-I-N-G.com. I'm on uh, four or five episodes of Chucklehead Chat that my buddy Glenn Adams hosts. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. But most importantly, listen to me on the Ex Millennial Man podcast. Rate, review us, tell your friends about it. Tell your friends about it. Have them rate and review us. We'll get the Patreon going soon. I, I promise I have sports stuff I want to do on there. So check that out. And as always, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we repeat all that. Seedsing.com, Ex Millennial Man. And uh, yeah, you're going to stay tuned because there's a couple of... Um, podcast announcements that are going to be coming a couple of shows that i'll talk to you about off mic tie but the rest of you stay Sounds tuned good. with that and 
with all that being said, we thank you for your ears. Anything else that you may use to listen to the Ex-Millennial Man podcast. Remember, we are here every Saturday for free, wherever you find your fine podcasting shows. And it is, uh, we're recording this September 1st. So yeah. here's to hopefully not blazing hot weather soon. Hopefully. Hopefully it'll be in the mid-70s soon. All right. Talk to you next time. Take it easy. The Ex-Millennial Man Podcast is a production of SeedSing.com, fully owned by R.D. Kulik & Associates, LLC. Producers Ty Kulik and Ryan Kulik, adequately engineered by Ryan Kulik.